invite you to take your scriptures and turn back to John chapter 11, if you would. Again, that's page 897. It's good to see Jim LeBaw here today. Had a little scare the last few days, but we are glad to see you back. Worst case scenario handbook has in section three, it's titled Leaps of Faith. And I hope you never have to take any of them. Um, They are listed one through five. How to jump from a bridge or cliff into a river. How to jump from a building into a dumpster. How to maneuver on top of a moving train and get inside without dying. How to jump from a moving car. How to leap from a motorcycle into a car. Has anyone ever had to do any of those? Yeah. Leaps of faith. That's actually why they're called. They're incredibly difficult. Obviously, potentially life-threatening, and pretty much a very small chance that you could ever do them successfully. That's why the very first page in the handbook has this warning. It says, when a life is imperiled or a dire situation is at hand, safe alternatives may not exist. In other words, it may not always turn out right just because you're reading our book. Leaps of faith. See, that's exactly what Mary and Martha needed when it came to their brother. You see, the context is there's a family, and a very close-knit family, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And they live in Bethany, and as you read in the text, it's only a couple miles walk from Jerusalem. And so their brother has become very sick. In fact, it has got worse and worse over days to the point where they now fear for his life. And so this is cause for them to send messengers to Jesus. And they do so. And basically they're asking him to drop everything that he's doing and to come and heal their brother. But you have to understand, this is an unusual request or in their minds even a difficult request because they're very close. I mean, Jesus is like their family. I mean, they are not just Facebook friends that they like Jesus' sermons or they like it when he does a miracle. I mean, that's not what it's about. Really, they're mentioned three times in Scripture, Luke 10, John 11, and 12. And every time they're mentioned, it's at their house. Jesus is there. And Mary and Martha are literally cooking something up for Jesus and his disciples. Lazarus is enjoying it. These are three people that love Jesus. I mean, really love. I mean, their life is centered around him, focused on him. And so whenever they're with him, they have meals for Jesus. But this time is different. They don't need a meal with him. They need a miracle from him. I mean, all their lives, when they're with Jesus, it's what they could do for him. This time, it's what he could do for them. But this should be no problem. I'm sure that's the thought that went through their mind. Because they have a very close relationship with him. When they... When he's in Jerusalem, it's their, home, it's their house is his home away from home, so to speak. I mean, he's family. In fact, the spiritual understanding that Martha has in particular in who Jesus is is very astounding. I mean, her confession is equal to Peter's. 
When Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, and he said only God revealed it, not flesh and blood to you. I mean, at the end of our text, in verse 27, when he asked Martha, do you believe I'm the resurrection? She says, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God. I mean, it's almost verbatim to what Peter says. I mean, listen, Martha is no spiritual lightweight. I mean, she understands who Jesus is like very few others. And so they have a very close relationship, not just socially, but spiritually. And I would say to you, Martha and Mary, and particularly Martha and Lazarus, they, they have a very strong faith. But this scenario, this worst case scenario, is going to test their faith like nothing ever would or could. Mary and Martha, as, you, as I told you, they send a messenger to Jesus. And they, I'm very confident, they were sure that he would drop whatever he's doing. He's not that far away. He can make it there. He can save the day. He can heal him. But here's the reality that they have to deal with. Jesus doesn't show up on time. He is In their minds, they would say it, too late. They know that he could stop their worst-case scenario from happening, but he doesn't. In fact, in chapter 11, verse 37, after Lazarus has died, because Jesus didn't show up, four days later, Jesus finally arrives, and all the people that have come to mourn, you know what, they've been whispering for a number of days, and now they're just saying it? Couldn't this man who opened the eyes of him who was born blind, couldn't he have healed him or saved him? Or Couldn't he have? Listen, weeks ago, Jesus in Jerusalem had healed a guy who was born blind. And the guy born blind, when he was healed, said this, from the beginning of the world, it has never been seen that anyone could open the eyes of the blind. I mean, it would be a class A miracle. It would be something no one has ever done. And the idea is arguing from the greater to the lesser, that if Jesus could do something miraculous and have the power that no one else has, that if he can do this, then healing Lazarus of this illness is easy for him. Easy. But here's the problem. Even though it was easy for him to make it on time, he didn't. Even though if he would have got there, it would have been easy for him to heal Lazarus, He didn't. And the big question going on in Mary and Martha's mind is this. Why didn't he? Why didn't he? Let me just change the verb to modern day, our day, our worst case scenarios. Why doesn't he? If God could stop all the wars that are happening in our world, why doesn't he? If God could feed the entire world so no one would ever starve, why doesn't he? If God could prevent every crime and every accident from happening, why doesn't he? See, it's the question that Mary and Martha have been talking about through tears for days. You know how I know that? Because they come, when Jesus comes, they both meet him at separate times without the other one being here, there. But let me tell you this, they ask the identical question, and here's what they both ask Jesus the moment they see him. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That's what they've been thinking. Lord, where were you? 
See, that's what they're asking. That's what Mary and Martha both are asking. But it's probably the question you might be asking. Lord, where were you when I got evicted? Lord, where were you when I was released and let go from my job? Where were you, God, when I was abused as a child? Where were you when the divorce papers were signed? Where were you, God, when my loved one died? We all ask that question, don't we? And we think in our minds, why? Why, if God is all-knowing and God is all-powerful, why doesn't he stop this from happening? Can I be honest with you? The real question underneath that question is even more intense. And that is, God, why don't you really care? Do you love me? And see, that's why today's tool to put in your survival kit is faith. It's faith. Literally, a leap of faith. See, the reason God, namely Jesus, does and does not do certain things in their worst case scenario and in your worst case scenario is so that you, like them, would believe. I found it interesting all through the text that Jesus wants everyone who's part of this world ca- worst case scenario to believe. Chapter 11, verse 15, he tells the disciples, I'm glad, I'm glad that we're not going to make it there on time. Listen, it's not that Jesus didn't make it there. He was glad he didn't make it there. What in the world is happening? Why would he say that? Would you like him to say that to you in your worst case scenario? Not only am I not making it, I'm glad I'm not making it. He does. Here's why. He tells the disciples, so that you would believe. He's standing next to Martha, and he wants to, you know what he wants to know? He wants her to know this. I'm the resurrection, and I'm the life. And you know why I'm letting this happen? And you know why he died? Because do you believe this, he says? See, Mary comes to him in in, in chapter 11 and verse 40, and she says, Lord, I can't roll away the stone. He says, didn't I say to you, if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Afterwards, in verse 42, 45, 48, all the people around seeing Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. You know what it says? And they believed on him. And they didn't just hear it. They saw it, and they believed on him. And they believed on him. And you know the point of the chapter is this? Faith. You know what the worst case scenarios are for in your life? Here's what they're for. So that you would believe. So that you would believe in Jesus no matter how much you don't grasp, no matter how much you don't understand, no matter how difficult it is, no matter what the price you pay, no matter what the loss is that you experience, here's what he says. I want you to believe me. I want you to have faith in me. But you and I know this, right? Easier said than done. It's not always easy to have that kind of faith. D.A. Carson wrote a book a number of years ago called The Difficult Doctrine of the Love of God. Difficult. I mean, isn't it the doctrine that we revel in, enjoy in, and adore the most? I mean, God loves me. But he says it's the difficult doctrine. Why? Here's why. Because it's a Strong faith only that can do two things. It can keep the love of God and the glory of God together. And believe that they are not 
They are not, no matter what circumstances would dictate, they are not at odds with one another. Let me show you what I mean by that in the text. There are two frameworks going on side by side in this text. And you'll never face your worst case scenario correctly unless you learn to, by faith, keep these two concepts together. Let me tell you one at a time. The first one is Jesus loves Mary, Martha, Lazarus. And may I put in parentheses... And you and me. Notice how the Bible makes it very clear at the beginning of the passage in the story and at the end of it that Jesus wants you to know this is very clear. He loves them. Chapter 11 and verse 3. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, they they knew that Jesus loved them. There was no question in their mind, Mary and Martha. It says this, the Lord, he whom you love, underline it, is ill. Look at verse 5. So the author John, who wrote this this gospel, he believed it because he was there. He was one of the disciples. Here's what he says. Now Jesus, circle it again. He loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Turn to the end of the story, chapter 11 and verse 36. Jesus wept, verse 35. Verse 36, so the Jews, so listen. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus knew Jesus loved them. The writer of the gospel knew he loved them. And all the people knew it because it was obvious. It says Jesus wept. And so the Jews said, see how he loved him? I mean, everybody knows this is very clear and obvious. No one's disputing this fact. Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Everybody believed it. But let me give you the second framework that's working. Chapter 11 and verse 4. In between verses 3 and 5, which is kind of like a love sandwich, and in between it is God's glory. Let me show you. Yes, does he love them? Yes, 3 and 5. But let me tell you what defines that love. Verse 4. But when Jesus heard it, heard what? That the person he loves, listen, the person he loves, his friend, the guy he stays at his house, they're like family. When he hears that, that he's sick, he's ill, this is what he says, ready? This illness does not lead to death. But what's it for? It is for the glory of God. So that the Son of God may be glorified through it. That's what it means for Jesus to love them. Let me show you again at the end of the story. Chapter 11 and verse 40. They don't want him to remove the stone because Lazarus has been dead four days and decay has settled in and it says he smells, he stinks. And Jesus in verse 40 says this, Did I not tell you? Do you not have faith? Do you not understand how my love works? Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? See, here's what you need. Here's the tool you need in your worst case scenario survival kit. You need to have faith. A faith that keeps the love of God and the glory of God together. And may I say to you, it is not always easy to do it. 
And you can see from the text that Mary and Martha struggled with it. They struggled thinking this, that Jesus loves me and Jesus loves God's glory. And the reason, can I say it to you, that we struggle with that is because too many of us have morphed God's love into this. That God has the ability to make much of us in everything. When the reality is that the love of God is this, that God has given us in his love the ability to make much of him in everything. So in our hymn book, in our chorus book, we sing so many so- songs about how much Jesus loves for us. And you know and you, Jesus loves us. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves the little children. Jesus lover of my soul. Oh, how he loves you and me. Jesus loves even me. Amazing love. How can it be? Love lifted me. The love of God. I mean, it's inundated with it, right? I mean, we love, sorry, we love to sing those songs. But here's what I found as I read them all this week. Most of these songs, if not all of them, talk about Jesus' love for you and me in terms of his suffering. Namely, him suffering for our sins on the cross. Very few, if any, talk about how Jesus' love for us allows our suffering, namely for his glory. See, all of us, I think, would be in agreement that we are perfectly fine when Jesus' love means that he suffers and dies for us. I'm good with that. In fact, I'm eternally good with that. But I'm not so comfortable, to say the least, When Jesus' love means that we are given the ability through our suffering to make much of him. See, we kind of have this hope, and truthfully it's a false hope, that his suffering cancels out ours. And that false hope leads us to a false understanding of his love. And some have come out to say this, that because Jesus loved me, loves me, it means that I will never ever have to really go through a worst case scenario. And if I do, it won't be devastating and it won't be severe. So most people think because Jesus loved me and he died for me and I'm his child, that means no severe car accidents will ever take place in my family. There is no wheelchair in my future. There are no emotional difficulties, at least not ongoing long term that I will ever have to face or endure there's no loneliness no financial issues that I'll ever have to really undergo I mean it's not that I'm ever going to lose my house or anything but what if what if Jesus loving you is secondarily about your good and primarily about his glory What if Jesus' love for you means that his glory will be displayed not apart from your suffering, but through your suffering? What if your worst case scenario is Jesus' means of giving you the faith to be strong enough to make much of him instead of yourself through your sickness, your loss, Or your cancer. What if Jesus' love means that his suffering doesn't cancel out our suffering, but rather conquers it?
Mark chapter 4 and verse 38 is a story about Jesus crossing the sea with his disciples. Professional fishermen in a boat, this is nothing big for them at night. They've done it many times. This time it's strange. Very different. They're out in the middle of the ocean, or the sea I should say, and they're rowing as hard as they can. The winds are picking up and they're not making any progress. They're not getting closer to security and safety at the shore. They're now starting to bail because the waves have become so big it's pouring into the sides of the boat. And they're beginning to think that they might not, they might not make it, that they're going to sink. And so they're, they're bailing and some are rowing and some are bailing and, and it's filling up. And they've come to the realization they're going to sink. And the crazy thing about it is, is that when it all started, they didn't give it even a thought. Why? Because Jesus is in the boat. He's in the boat. Now, he is in the back against the stern, sleeping on a pillow. But Jesus is in the boat. And if Jesus is in the boat, there are no worries, right? I mean, you're not going to face a storm that you can't handle when Jesus is in the boat, right? Right? But they do. And here's what they're thinking. Why doesn't he do something? Why doesn't he stop sleeping, get up, and do what he's supposed to do. Let me ask you, you ever think that? Oh, I didn't say say it out loud. Did you ever think that? Jesus, why are you sleeping? Get up. Are you not in my boat? Are you not here? Are you not the creator of the ends of the earth? Why aren't you doing something? And so they can't, they can't keep it contained any longer. And so Mark 4.38 says this. Here's what they say. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? See, isn't that the bottom line? That's the question underneath the question. See, when we question God in our worst case scenario, and we're not so big on having to suffer, and we're not so big on saying, listen, you loving me means your glory comes first. See, you know, we begin to doubt. And here's what we doubt. Maybe he really doesn't love me like that. Maybe that's how you feel right now. Jesus, don't you care that I'm hurting? Jesus, don't you care that I'm crying? Don't you care that I'm suffering? Don't you care about what I'm going through? Why aren't you stopping the storm? Why aren't you putting an end to this worst case scenario? Really what we're saying is this. Why isn't your love for us making much of us? Feel the doubt, can't you, in the words? Lord, if you had been here, Lord, if you had been here, do you feel the pain in those words? I have heard it and felt it multiple times. I have heard that and felt that in hospitals when people are standing beside their loved one and it's way too early for them to die. Where is he? Why doesn't he do something? I've heard it at funeral homes. I felt it there. I felt it in emergency rooms. I felt it with people in the suburbs, on the streets. Listen, it doesn't matter who you are, where you are, what your background is. See, where are you? Why don't you do something? And the key in both of these stories is that both people, Mary and Martha, the disciples, when they get in this worst case scenario, and all they can see, all they can see is the pain of their suffering, but they cannot see the purpose of it, then they begin to doubt God's love. Can I say to you, our problem often in our worst case scenario is that we are blinded to the glory of God. 
We are blinded to the glory of God because we are using the wrong definition of his love. The Westminster Catechism says this, The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. You and I, our catechism says this, The chief end of God is to glorify man and to make much of him forever. We've reversed it at times, haven't we? Oh, that God would give you and I eyes to see his glory. To see his glory from a hospital bed. To see his glory in our sickness. To see his glory in our surgery. To see our, his glory in our sadness and in our suffering. That yes, God's glory is primary. But that does not mean that he doesn't love us. And that is exactly why Jesus allowed Lazarus to die. Why he purposely did not show up in their worst case scenario and at times yours. Because Lazarus' death allowed Jesus to show the power of his love for Lazarus in a way that healing never could. Do you understand that? If God wants to display his glory and really show you how much he loves you, he is going to allow things in your life in order to demonstrate that truth to you in ways that keeping all that stuff never could. How do you mean, Pastor Walker? Well, here's what it means. Because Lazarus' death made it possible for Jesus to demonstrate that not even the grave could keep Jesus and Lazarus' love apart. Do you understand that? I mean, he loved Lazarus in life, but how powerful really is his love for Lazarus and for you? Let me tell you how powerful it is. The grave can't keep you apart. The grave can't. It's not powerful. That's how powerful his love is for you. But you'll never know that unless you put his glory first. See, because Lazarus' death made it possible for Jesus to demonstrate that the resurrection... It's not just an event to be pushed off into the future someday. See, the resurrection is a person right now. And you would never know that. You would never know how much Jesus loves you and how much he is for you as the resurrection and the life. Unless you go through some of those worst case scenarios. He has the power. He doesn't have to ask for it. He is it. And if you know him and he loves you, that life is yours. Because Lazarus' death made it possible for us to see that our suffering, our loneliness, our marriages that fail, our jobs that we lose, our diseases, our sicknesses, our failures, they are not random and they are not meaningless and they are not empty. Rather, they are designed and purposed, listen, by God, for God, and out of love for you. So God is not just up in heaven with a celestial hammer looking to come down on your life because you... No, you know what? Worst case scenarios are because he loves you and wants to show you the dimensions and the depth and the measure of that love so that you could hold on to the greatest thing that there is in this world above all else, and that is his glory. So in her worst case scenario, Martha needed a leap of faith. A faith that would not just define Jesus loves me because he keeps bad things from happening to me. 
She needed a leap to say, oh, let me leap to this kind of faith. A faith that says, Jesus loves me, and here's how I measure it. Here's how I know it. Not that he keeps me from things, but the things he brings in my life, he loves me so that I can even to a greater degree display his glory because that's what it was for. That his glory comes before her good. That is a leap of faith. And unless you and I get that down in our lives, we will not believe. So Jesus says to her, Mary, Martha, do you believe this? And she says, yes, Lord, I believe. And so Jesus brought you here today in your worst case scenario. And you know what he says to you? Put your name in there. Do you believe this? And your answer is, And your answer is, let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, would there be some here today who would say, Pastor Walker, I believe Jesus. And I've put my faith in him. But I need a leap of faith. I need to understand his love as connected to his glory. And what I want to say to him, but I haven't been able to or I didn't know I needed to, is do whatever you want to in my life. Do whatever it is in this worst case scenario I'm facing. And I will not doubt your love and I will put your glory first. Whatever it takes to display your glory and show the depth of your love for me in this world, do it. See, to say that and mean that and live that is a leap of faith. And you might be going through some of those leaps of faith or needing to even today, even now. And you say, Pastor Walker, listen, I'm not there yet. I'm still struggling. I need that kind of faith. Please pray for me. Would you just slip your hand up with every head bowed and I'll do that today. I need to keep the love of God and the glory of God together. Anyone else? Thank you. In the main floor, balcony, many hands all over. Thank you. Thank you. Praise God. Thank you. Can I tell you this? Maybe God brought this worst case scenario into your life so that you would actually know that he does love you. Maybe you've never never come to that place before. I don't believe, I'm not saying about Love you like he loves everyone created in his image. No, he has a particular love. He wants to save you. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants you to know the glory of his son through the love of his cross. See, Lazarus' story throws a shadow on the greater suffering story that's only a few chapters away in this gospel, and that is the suffering of Jesus. And see, Jesus suffered and died. You know why? Because he loved you but he loved God's glory more. That's why he died. He died for you. So that you, in knowing him, would have the ability to make much of God. And you say, Pastor Walker, I don't know Jesus by faith. I don't. I know who he is, but I don't have that relationship. But I like to start it today. I like to come to know him. Would you pray for me? Would you just put your hand up and I'll do that as we close here in just a few moments. I don't have that relationship with him, but I I need to by faith. Anyone while we wait, just put your hand up and put it right back down. Thank you. Anyone else? 
Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Appreciate your hand. Thank you. Let's stand together and we're going to pray. Father, you have seen hands and you have seen hearts. And you know the reality of our spiritual relationship and condition before you. I pray for believers today who need to take the leap of faith to believe and keep together that you love them. But that love is controlled by your love for the glory of God. I pray that they would believe that today and live accordingly. Father, for those few hands that raised their hand, indicating that today they need to begin a relationship with you, a faith relationship, a love relationship based on the work of your son Jesus on the cross. Father, help them to have the courage today to humble themselves and cry out to you and call on you to be their Lord and Savior. May you do that work of transformation by the power of your spirit, even now in the lives of those who raise their hand. And we'll thank you for Christ's sake we pray. Amen.